to another episode of the Real Talk Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Danielle. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good. And the young gunner, Ray. How are you doing? <laughs> doing good. Ray's doing good. Ray's in the back, manning the cameras. You know, I wanted to do this episode as a solo, dolo episode. Obviously, solo with Danielle and I. Danielle, we're always the co-host. And the significance of April of 2023. The initiation of, I guess, the talk team's uh, uh, breaking into the industry here was exactly 15 years ago from this April. So I got my license on April 8th, 2008. Didn't do my deal, my first deal for six months. And fast forward to today, yeah, it's been 15 years. It's kind of a, time kind of flies. The original intent of myself getting into the business was not to stay in it for this long, actually. It was, an whole, it was a holdover job from what I was anticipating in between my goal of getting into the sports industry rather than staying in real estate. I was interning at this sports agency in Japan and it was hard to make a living there, obviously. Just the sports business in general, not having any experience, not having a law degree, and the sports agent at the time, he was a pretty big figure in that industry back in the day. His advice was, hey, Talk, why don't you learn a little bit more about just business in general? Whatever you want, it could be anything. And then once you learn the groundwork of how to run and operate a business, then you might want to come back into the industry after you get some savings, you get some experience, get some capital, all of that. So I said, okay, well, you know, what do you recommend? And I was referred to the real estate agent that helped broker the deal for Japanese Major League Baseball players in New York City. And I said, you know, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to come back into the city, crash with my buddies that have apartments in Manhattan that I could pretty much stay with on their couch. I don't have to pay rent, especially at that point in time. And and then I, that, that was about, that was early uh, January, February, March of 2008. And then I got my license in 2000, in April of 2008. So, so that was the early beginnings of how I got into the industry. So what, on this episode, I want to talk about 15 lessons that I've learned in 15 years. But before we jump into our main topic for today, I want to get your thoughts, Danielle, on the advocacy needed for the tenant paid broker fee systems in New York. Let's circle this, let's come back to this again. One of our managers discussed this morning about their pending legislation to either cap or prohibit broker's fees in New York City for rentals. What are your thoughts on this legislation? I don't, I think that they that it should just be the same way it's always been. Brokers charge up to 15% and that's how it's been operating for several years successfully. And that's how it should remain and the tenant should still be paying. That's New York City, it's how it's been running. There's no need to change a good thing. Right, by not allowing tenants to pay the fee, the landlords have to raise the rent. And I think when that happens, that becomes more unaffordable for the consumer. I think personally, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. The markets should determine who pays the fee, right? If you wanna live in Harvard Square in Boston. It's probably one of the more sought after properties 
in Boston, you have to pay the broker fee. It's the same thing. If you want to live in Stytown all the way towards the FDR, where the demand is not as high as, let's just say, the West Village, yeah. then yeah, then, then it's kind of built in, right? The landlords take the risk of buying property in coveted areas by putting up a huge number and sometimes they're rewarded by not having to pay the broker fee to get the deal done as opposed to someone that pays something let's just say jersey city in one high rise there's the price point is entry point is cheaper the risk is somewhat lower from a real estate purchase standpoint they may have to pay the broker fee so i think it kind of plays into the market i don't think it's something that the government should come in and step in and, and decide for the owners who should pay what. It's come. It's kind of getting into the nitty gritty of the business where it should be run by uh, free market forces, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, it's not necessary. There's also plenty of no fee options throughout the city Tons. for those tenants who choose to not pay a fee. That's right. They don't want to. I've, I've found my way doing that too. That's right. That's right. So. And I mean, it's all supply and demand. I mean, how many apartments were fee-based back in 2020 when corona hit like none exactly. none yeah like no, everything was basically 50 percent off and you get three four five months of free rent mm -hmm. you know the government didn't have to decide that for the market forces to work people still got their apartments we still fail filled our vacancies in accordance to the market's forces and i think the fee is just a, a simple mathematical supply and demand type issue that i think the government needs to kind of realize that there's really no way to socialize the rental market system in Manhattan. Just a competitive market. Things are expensive and sometimes mm -hmm. the tenants have to pay the fee and the landlord benefits from that. Okay. Do you have any fun plans for the summer? Not too much lined up yet. Not yet? No. Jersey Shore homes, Hamptons houses? No, going out to my friend's house for his birthday weekend in the Berkshires. Mm. There's a pool there. Okay. Um, but no beach trips lined up yet. No beach yet. Okay. Hopefully yeah. that that comes. That's on the horizon as we're entering the May. My shout out to Steve Weidler and the Weidler team of the DMV region. DMV for those that don't know or aren't familiar is the DC metro in Virginia area. It's uh, there's a loop called 495. It's the Beltway Parkway that. Uh, surrounds all three states. I guess DC is not a state. It is a district. That is true. It is a district. So, is it a city though? Is DC a city? Or is yeah, it a, I'd it's, say. it's a city, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some people say it would be a town. It's not a know, state. It's definitely but a city. It's still a city. Uh, in any event, I grew up in Fairfax County, Virginia. My parents have lived there for probably 25, 30 years, just back and forth in Japan, between Japan and, and Fairfax County. But uh, they finally getting ready to move back to Japan permanently. And I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to Steve. Thank you for your help. Uh, the Weidler brothers, they are one of the leading real estate brokerage teams at Compass in the DMV region. And they are now uh, helping sell my parents' house in Fairfax. It's um, kind of a somber moment, kind of sad. End of an era. End of an era. It's like, uh, it's like your parents selling their house in New Jersey, moving back to Italy with your sister. <laughs> you would lose your home base. Yeah. Right? That would never happen. That, that would suck for you. Right? It would. It would. It would. I'm happy to have my home base still. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's most people have their home base. I think that's that's a great thing, especially if you live in New York and you want to get away. Yeah. And not necessarily get away in your Hamptons homes. That's something different. But you get away to the suburbs. <laughs> it's kind of nice to have. So, yeah, that's a, it's kind of a bummer for me, but I guess life goes on and it's great for my parents. So, I wanted to talk about today the 15 lessons that I've learned in the 15 years I've been in business. How many deals have we done, do you think? A couple thousand? 
Yeah. Probably, right? I think on Streety's, yeah, I'm up to, on the landlord side rentals, I'm up to like 2,500 plus rentals. And then we're like, on the sales side, we've done a couple hundred. It's probably closer to like, yeah, 5,000. I would think double that. 5,000 total sure transactions? If you, have all the... if you include the renewals that we've done for our co-op and condos throughout the year, then we're probably over 5,000 yeah. transactions. So we've, we've accomplished a lot. And I'm not here to boast our accomplishments, right? Too many brokers in our business are all about, we are the best because we sell X billion dollars worth of real estate. I get those postcards all the time. And as, as, a, as a property owner myself, I don't really get, doesn't really resonate with me. doesn't really impress me. So we're not here on this episode to boast about my track record or the number of deals we've done or the total volume of sales. I mean, we, we're all brokers. We can sell. It's not even that hard, actually, to tell you the truth. It's, it's, you just have to have the selling process is not very hard. You just have to have the connections, I guess. Um, more of a challenge in the business than actual the, going through the process of selling. But I want to uh, get some of your thoughts on my 15 things that I've learned in the 15 years. All right. What's the and you've been one? with me for how many? Seven? This will mark year eight. Year eight. Look at that. So you've been with me for about half of my career. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. I guess so. <laughs> Who knew that when you joined at 21 years old that you... I was 20... I was 22. 22 years old that you would yeah. be with me for this many years. It's crazy. Who knew? I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like real estate so far? It's been a good eight years, I guess. It's been a great eight years. Except for maybe 2020. That was tough. That was just a different year. Ugh, that was rough. That was really tough for me. Yeah, I mean... So, all right, so my first uh, words of wisdom or my first lesson out of the 15 is that uh, anyone joining our business or anyone starting up a business, it doesn't have to be real estate. It could be, you know, you just graduated from medical school or you, you want to start your own optometry practice or dentist practice or you want to start your own, I don't know, hardware store or you want to start your own restaurant, cafe, it doesn't matter. You have to work seven days a week minimum I would say for the first two years. So one of my favorite books, um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote, uh, the he wrote about the ten thousand hour rule. And do you have you ever heard of this? No. Ten thousand hour rule. So it's uh, it's the ten thousand hour rule is, is is the asserting the fact that the key to achieving true expertise in any skill is simply a matter of practicing in the right way, in the intentional way for at least 10,000 hours. So whether that's an instrument, whether that's you know learning how to play the guitar or learning how to, you know, practicing soccer, learning how to play forward at soccer or playing point guard in, in basketball or learning our business, right? Learn going to school and then going into a trade and learning that specific skill takes 10,000 hours. So how long does that, how long does it take you think in your basic math to accrue those 10,000 hours. <laughs> if you work from nine to five, five years a week, that's 40 hours a week, right? So that's kind of like basics, right? Basics. Like, uh, I don't know. All right, so assuming- Two years? You, yeah, so assuming you don't, how'd you get it's two years? Assuming, I don't know, is it right? If you're working, if you're working 80 hours a week for 48 weeks a year, that's, te- that's about the 10,000 mark. But they would not take two years. It would take exactly 2.6 years. Oh, I was close. Yeah, you were close. So it, it takes a lot of guts to really grind out that many weeks in a row 
that many days straight for two and a half years, 2.6 years. I did it. I actually didn't even know what. I, I lost all my hobbies. I didn't go to any weekend getaways or vacations. I didn't even really go home for like Christmas and Thanksgiving, rarely, for the first two years. Pretty lonely. Kind of sucked, but that I grinded it out. You know, there's a catch to the 10,000 hour rule. I think it's it's deliberate practice and a lot of times in real estate, people forget, and I myself, right? Just because we're sitting in front of our computer, reading email or going to respond to emails or doing evaluation online or evaluation would be like a CMA, um, like a market analysis on a property. It, th those are all so many different tasks that you really can't say like one thing I've done 10 different things today and that counts towards a 10,000 hour rule. Everyone's productivity is different. So, you know, two and a half, two, 2.6 years is kind of the benchmark, but it could be actually three or four or five years. I think for me, it probably took six years to I think really achieve the 10,000 hour mark. Whether in real estate, what do you have to know in real estate, right? You have to know, at least for me, maybe you can add more. I like to know, for example, I started learning the history of the landlords and what portfolio each landlord had. So just to give you an example, like the Goldman portfolio, there's Solio Goldman, there's Sol Goldman, Solio properties, and there's BLDG, uh, Lloyd Goldman. You know, there's the BLDG properties. You, you have you know, seven, tw I'd say 17 to 25 listings that are kind of like core listings that people in Manhattan like to run and work on. And I went and previewed every single one of them and I got to know the doorman and I took photos of every single line and I got the finishes and I learned which line faces what direction and I kind of got the prices for every single building in my head just so that I know how to talk about them if I needed to. Um, did the same thing with like Pan Am Equities when that, those were open uh, open listings where anyone could go and show and market them. Um, those were great. But that's just kind of like one little tip of the iceberg of like the 10,000 hours. I mean, what do you think is also necessary? I mean, there's so much to there's learn so much. in the city. It would take longer. Probably. Right, there's so much. So this is just like a mere tip of the iceberg of the 10,000 hours. It's just Malcolm Gladwell created this 10,000 hours. I think he was probably thinking more about like, if you want to learn how to become an accountant or if you want to learn uh, a specific medical practice skill, like th those are 10,000 hours. Real estate is such a broad spectrum of, of things that you have to know and you have to specialize in that, you know, it, it, I don't think you could really catch up in 10,000 hours. But that's my first lesson is you know, seven days a week minimum as a starter for the first two years. Um, number two is uh, coaching is a must if you want to speed up your growth. My first brokerage was really bad. Uh, the train there was no training. It was just one guy, just grumpy guys, Japanese guy that did a, a couple big deals a year, and that was it. There's just not enough transaction for me to really learn from him. Had I known who Greg Young was, who uh, if you go back two episodes, Jason Safton and I talked about him. That's where we met uh, when Jason Safton was at City Habitats. Greg Young was the head of training then uh, for City Habitats. He worked with our manager Gordon. But coaching really is a must. And um, if I knew what I knew, if I knew what I knew from coaching four or five years before I started coaching, I would have been a way better agent. And, and I, I would have, that would have sped up my growth. Uh, so that's that. Uh, shout out to Tom Ferry, who I did a coaching session with a long time ago. He was great. Tom Ferry and his coach, Jeff Mays, and I worked together for about, I'd say two years and uh, we're a year and a half and he really helped me kind of be more accountable of how to run my business as a business not necessarily reacting to my day-to-day -day. 
Number three, there are only few managers you can trust. And this is kind of taboo not to talk trash on other managers in real estate. But once you get to a certain point, managers become somewhat irrelevant to a certain extent because you are the manager. You are the owner of your business. You are responsible for your own clients. No one's coming to help you. No one's having, no one's really coming to be the one to take the face away from your business. You are the face. So what I found fascinating is some managers in our business, just not in New York City, just say you go down to like my area, like Fairfax County, Virginia, you could be a manager, quote, broker slash broker of a, of a small real estate company and have everybody work under you, take your vacations, take your calls, and you earn like a high six-figure salary, which is kind of crazy. Well, not salary, but a salary plus commission. All you have to do is be a good cheerleader. A really good manager today in this, in this market is someone like Gordon Gallo. He is able to bring business to you, meaning introduce you to new business. He's able to make introductions through that manager's connections. So it's just say, I want to get, uh, I want to meet developer S. Developer Mr. S and I do not know each other, but the manager should know somebody in the industry that can introduce you to developer S, right? So those are kind of key relationships that a manager should have. Do you have anything else that a key manager, like someone like Gordon has? Just always being responsive and being able to help out when things do come up. We don't need managers often, but it's nice to uh, have someone who has your back when yeah, things it's, arise. Yeah, it's huge. Like, there's always problems that arise, and are they able to squash it? Because if it's with another agency, like that manager, someone like Gordon knows all the managers in New York City. Right? That's huge. Another another part of a of a manager is not necessarily training because. I think most managers in our industry are here to train younger agents because the turnover is so high. A really good established manager should be able to help you grow your business by bringing you, like I said earlier, bringing you more business or getting you in front of the right people. Uh, that's the main thing I think a manager should be able to do or set up meetings just just to set up meetings so you could get to know other people in the industry. Um, that's to me, that's to me, Gordon. I don't know not to talk down on other agents or other managers in the industry, but they, in my opinion, are not as valuable or they're not much of a value add to your business. So don't rely always on the manager. Don't blindly just rely on the manager. Uh, number four, taxes will kill you. I'm going to do a separate episode on this, but uh, learning how to pay taxes as a sole proprietor or independent contractor is extremely difficult. And you have to have a good CPA that will kind of lay down the truth on you, that's always checking in on you so that you don't have any unexpected surprises. My first couple years in real estate were brutal. I had to pay taxes on my commission, which I did not pay on a quarterly basis, to a point where, let's just say I have $8,000 in my bank account, and by April 15th rolls around and I owe $30,000. I mean, the, the, the taxes were a mess. And it's always, it's never easy. I also had a, a, a windfall of, of, of equity at Compass I was one of the first brokers at Compass. I had a good amount of shares at Compass, but was not totally up to date on the tax implications on exercising uh, these types of shares, ISO taxes versus NSO ta taxes. It's a whole separate uh, issue that I have and probably do another episode on one day, but that really killed me and still killed me actually. It killed me last year, killed me the year before, it's killing me this year. 
Uh, it's a nonstop issue that I still have to deal with and I'm battling with, but taxes as a sole proprietor of any independent business is a really tough uh, world to navigate in. I wish it was simpler. I wish the IRS would say everyone just pay X amount flat and that's it. But unfortunately, it's not that. So uh, that's something that it really everyone should be aware about. Uh, number five, you know, the truth, telling your truth to your clients is 100 times better than being nice or being a, a nice, reliable agent that's always there for you. Happy clients are those that get to close the close on the deal, not necessarily were just nice the entire time, but didn't ever end up closing or never got to close a deal because of you know whatever it was maybe the, the guidance was wrong maybe they're lacking in actual experience and then because of that they're being nice uh, we are in the business of selling real estate but we are more in the business of managing buy side or sell side expectations i think that's the most important part of the learnings that i've had in the last 15 years is when i first started i was really nice and i wanted to be nice because i was lacking overcompensating for my lack of experience and knowledge by being super polite and nice. Not that I'm saying I'm an asshole now, or I'm not nice now, but I'm, I think I'm very more direct and straight and to the point, rather than dancing around certain subjects and, and, and trying to please whoever's client that I'm representing. You know, what do you think about that, Daniel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a, no reason to sugarcoat anything about like the timeline of a co-op approval happening nope. or a turnover needing to be done. Got to make sure that the client knows what to expect. Right. The, the cost, the cost and expenses of a turnover. Whether it's also, you know, like if you're representing a buyer, you know, let's not be nice and dance around the topic of like closing costs. Right. You have to pay the mortgage recording tax. It's almost two percent of the of the loan. You have to pay. You know, you have the transfer tax. I mean, these things are these things always come up. And and when you're too nice, you forget that this is a hard thing to do. Closing on property is hard. And as we know in life, good things are not achieved by you know being soft and being you know and coasting through life. Uh, good things cannot be achieved. So um, that's definitely something that as a if you're a buyer and your broker has a lot of experience, may not be the nicest guy, but is telling you or girl that's telling you the truth. You should take that into heart rather than someone that's more like a Four Seasons hotel concierge. While it's nice to have someone that's fun and witty or whatever but you probably want someone that has more of the experience on your side. Number seven, be a specialist, not a generalist. I'm lucky that I dominate in one specific neighborhood. Not that you know we have to go into the, all of that, but when you're a specialist in one or two neighborhoods or a couple buildings you, and you dominate that market, well, it's, it's not really hard to pitch against other, other competitors. And you know, that takes time, it takes a lot of repetition, it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of boots on the ground and hours facing people, talking to people, talking to the building staff, but uh, that really helped me just is, is being a specialist in one market really kind of helps not only just pay the bills, but also helps grow your business. Number eight, uh, you want to hire somebody better than you. You want to fire yourself from the jobs that you're not very good at, or you're considered to be not the best use of your time, or if it takes away from your strength. So yeah, Bob Nacko actually talked about this at the very, very end is, you know, what kind of advice do you have for young and upcoming agents? Same thing I would have, I would say the same thing, right? You want to fire yourself from jobs that are not necessarily the top uh, priority for yourself. So, you know, this is kind of like you and I, right? You, I let myself go. I used to do all the things that you do, but you do it way better than I can do it, right? All the board packages, all the, the, the dashboard materials, all the marketing stuff, all the financial statements, compiling the financial statements, analyzing the financial statements and offers from buyers for our co-ops. These are things that 
I I can still do them, but I'd rather have you take care of that because you're more of the cerebral part of the operation. What do you think? That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Detail-oriented? Yeah, yeah. handle it all. Yeah, you're like more the... the you have the detail on a on a on a smaller individual line item scale. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of the big picture guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially when you want to focus on growing your business or learning something new in other areas, you need someone else to handle the day to day tasks. That's right. That's right. Day to day tasks. I fire myself for everything that Danielle does. Danielle does it all. <laughs> okay. Danielle is the president of the talk team. Nine is mentally you have to think of your you have to think of your long game rather than your short game, right? Everybody that enters the industry, they watch these TV shows and they want that that ten million dollar sale from day one. They open the door in their nice suit with their Rolex watch, with their insane nicely hit, well well done hair, dancing around in these in an expensive apartment and say, Look at this kitchen and then they close a ten million dollar sale and they get that three hundred thousand dollar commission check. It's never like that. Right, so I like to put it in baseball terms. Do you want to talk about my baseball terms that I talk about? No. No? You don't do you, you know what I'm talking about? So baseball terms is uh if you are, you know, it's all about playing small ball in the in the long game, right? So teams that win consistently throughout the years is not necessarily having somebody like a Jason Giambi or an Albert Pujols that just hits grand slams after grand slams. I mean that's a sexy way to win, but the most of the teams that win the World Series in general is, or the ones that consistently get to the playoffs, is they play small ball very well. The fundamentals are very well. So they focus on single base RBIs, right? Base hits. They want to try to get to first with one man on base. On the, the second batter will punt or, or bunt. So that's punt. They'll bunt. They'll bunt the ball. The, the man on first tries to steal second. And then there'll be one man on second, maybe one out, and then you got the next guy trying to get to the base, the base hit RBI. So you want to try to steal second or steal third, and then try to keep playing small ball. Just hit those, get those runs in. You don't necessarily always have to go for the grand slam or go for the home run. And as long as you're consistently getting to first and second base, and you're getting the, you're stealing second or third on bunts, and you're keeping your runs consistent. You're keeping your your scores consistent, not necessarily going for the ten point game. You know, that's how you, you're playing for the longevity of being in the business, and that's how business should be run. Uh, not again, not necessarily on big, big, um, big grand slams. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. Right, you do one little rental here, you do one little sell there, and then you start building up your base, and then in ten years you're doing you know five big deals here and there. 10 small deals, sales deals, and then you're doing 10 more small rental deals a month. I mean, that's kind of the way business should be. Uh, There's only maybe one or two or 3% of the market, someone like Bob Knackle that can actually hit it out of the base every single time. It's very rare. It's very rare. Uh, He's got the gift of gab. I have the gift of fab. Not gab, but fabulous, but not as fabulous as being (laughs) gift of gab. Uh, Number 11, farming is important. Do you want to describe what we do with farming? Farming is mailing all the owners in the building. That's right. That's right. And do we do that a lot? We do it every day. Every day. Farming is consistent. Farming is like growing crops, right? You mail a building and it doesn't have to be. If I were a dentist or a restaurant or I own a dry cleaner 
or I own a pet walking service, I would still farm. It doesn't matter what business you're in. If you're a small business, if I own a hardware store, I would be farming. Farming is essentially sending out mailers to buildings and you gotta be, you can't just do it. You can't, when you farm, you're gonna do rake a, a field once with your hoe? No. No? How many times would you rake it with your hoe? Multiple times. Multiple times, right? Yeah. Daily? Daily, yeah. I mean, crops have I'm to not, be... I'm not a farmer. Crops have to be grown, right? And they they start in the winter. You put the seed in the early spring. And then you get the water going in the spring. And then you get the crops to grow in the summer. And then you harvest in the fall. I mean, it's a yearly thing. It's rinse and repeat. And when you're farming, it's the same thing. Would you mail a building? Would you farm a building once? No, because they'll forget about you. No, forget about you immediately. Yeah, so you got to keep farming and farming and farming. Some of the clients that I get and say, hey, talk, I've been getting your cards for 10 years. Yeah, I'm falling, finally calling you. It's like, oh, great. Nice. <laughs> Good to hear you. So farming is important. Number 12, moving brokerages is important. Uh, maybe you haven't done this before, but nope. uh, moving brokerages, I've, I've done a lot of moving throughout the years, and it's important to kind of see, the, is the grass cleaner on the other side? Is it better? I moved to town because my well, the previous... Town Residential no longer, rest in peace. The previous agency before town was called DJK Residential. Their computers sucked. I just wanted to go to a place where they had new computers so that I'm not waiting you know, <laughs> 10 minutes to open up my documents on, on my PC. Microsoft Office was updated actually. I'm not using like a 98 version of Microsoft Office. But yeah, moving brokerages is important. Why? Because you get to see other how the other management operates, how their listings operate, how their marketing operates. And I think this is kind of more industry specific, but you also get to learn different colleagues and the culture within the office is run by what type of brokers and, the, and and that sets the tone with what kind of friends you have as colleagues in the industry. So that's kind of a, um, an, early, an, an early agent should be exploring one to two to three or four different agencies in the first couple of years just so that they have perspective on the industry and, and, and just kind of the culture of the industry in itself. Uh, lesson number 13 is it's important to have colleagues that you admire. You don't get caught up in comparing yourself with your colleagues, but it's very important to have close friends in your industry because, God, this industry can be boring. I mean, not boring, lonely, lonely. <laughs> very lonely, right? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's nice to have people to rely on. I mean, you don't technically work with anyone directly, so it's good to have friends, good to have people to bounce ideas off of. Um, Who do you admire in our, in our company? Give me three names. I'm not gonna be, there's, I have give many me two. friends. Give me, so. three, give me three friends that you like, shout out. Uh, let's see, Natalie Hedden. Oh, Natalie Hedden. Esther Patton. Mm -hmm. Justin Oh, wait, that, that, that's okay. That's three. Oh, gotta shout out my boys. Gotta shout out my boys. You know, Big Frank, Little Frank. Uh, and then obviously, you know, my manager, Gordon. I mean, he's, he's a friend, mentor, uh, manager. He, he does it all. And uh, he's helped me tremendously throughout my career. So shout out to Gordon Gollum. Uh... Number, lesson number 14, we're almost here, huh? Uh, if you're planning on getting married or you have a partner, uh, this is kind of a personal story, but having a partner that understands your business is tremendously important. I, I, I've Dating is pretty easy as a guy in New York City. I think this is maybe like a whole separate topic, but yeah, I think as a guy, we have a leg up. Um, I think there's more girls in the city than guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just in general. It's like 60-40 or something. 60-40, yeah. It's opposite of Lehigh. It's crazy. That's true. Yeah, because Lehigh has an engineering school. But anyways, we both went to Lehigh. That's why we talk about it. But um, I, I've dated a lot. And 
I've had a lot of girlfriends. It's getting personal. Dating <laughs> podcast. I, I, it's a dating podcast now. I feel like I majority of the reasons why we broke up or I left them or I got bored with that person that I was that was in my life at that point at that point in time was primarily because they maybe did not, not understand my business as well as I intended them to understand it. You know, we work six seven days a week, so. Now, yeah, especially in my early years, like, yeah, no, I'm not going to the Hamptons house and spending money, you know, for for all of July to go there every weekend from Thursday on. I Like, that's just not really in the cards for me. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing your Manasquan house or Jersey Shore house for, you know, three weeks at a time, three weeks straight. I, it's just not in the cards. I'm not interested in going to, uh, you know, a, a three-week vacation when I have my own interest, like snowboarding, uh, to... And then, you know, and then, you know, they get upset that I'm not present enough. I mean, I get it, you know, or I can't just pick up and just because I'm dating, it doesn't mean I'm just going to pick up and move to another state where your family lives. Like, that's just not going to happen. That will never happen. You know, we are, our business is here. Our operations are here. My clients are here. So I can't just leave New York City. So I think the rule or the lesson that I've learned in the 15 years in New York City is that you just have to have someone that understands uh, the work ethic that's needed to sustain uh, the business or the industry that we're in. You know, shout out to Liz, my fiance, for being a uh, very good egg about knowing and understanding working six, seven days a week is the kind of the norm. And, and she, her family also kind of grew up in that type of culture. So she understands it. And that's, you know, I think really important to have a partner in your life that could be eye to eye in terms of, you know, professionalism and, and the hard work it takes to really, you know, grow a business. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's very important. I think it's even, real estate is a tricky business. People don't really understand it. I'm still to this day describing to my friends what I do. They don't, so they, they don't they, get they it. They still don't get it. It's been eight years. Right. <laughs> they, they watch Million Dollar They're slowly listening. getting it, yeah. They but, watch you know, It's taking listening. a lot of time. I mean, they probably don't get the fact that, you know, I, I'm boots on the ground six days a week at least. And I'm, I'm, email, I'm on email seven days a week for the last 15 years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do I go to Japan sometimes? And am I like offline for a couple hours during the day? Yes, but, you know, for the most part, I'm never really off. So yeah, it's it's a very hard miscon. People think it's easy to understand, but it's yeah, very really not. <laughs> Last but not least, my my fifteenth uh, learnings or lessons is uh, that smooth seas do not make a good sailor, and that really essentially means is if every single one of your deals is going the way it's supposed to go, if every single one of your client bases are growing in the way that it's supposed to it's supposed to grow, if everything one if every single one of your top clients are referring you business, if everyone is a repeat customer. You'd be surprised if everyone's a repeat customer. Just like, you know, you want to run a successful restaurant. You want people coming back. You want the same people coming back with their friends every single week. If that's all happening for you, then you have probably learned nothing, right? You want to be a tried and tested broker or business owner that has made a lot of mistakes. Hopefully not twice. Has seen every hair on the deal. Do hair, the deals have hair? Every one of them. Every one of them has hair. If you have not seen any of that, then how could you really guide your, your clients and manage your clients' expectations and, and reality, you know, in a realistic perspective? So, uh, are we good sailors, you think? I think so. Yeah? Yeah, the seas uh, have been a little choppy. Seas has been <laughs> always choppy. But our, our anchors are up. We're setting sail. Right? Yeah. Yeah, shout out Captain Stu. So, that, oh th that's the main, you know, the main takeaway take is... If you have not seen shit go sideways, then how could you really warn your future clients about the other things 
that can happen on your deal or you know obviously you know during the lifetime of a deal so make a lot of mistakes see a lot of shit lose a lot of money and you know you'll consider yourself a seasoned so that's it uh do you have anything to add on the 15 lessons in 15 years no i think those are great lessons yeah give me one lesson that you learned in the last two years since the pandemic in the last two years yeah it's three years since the pandemic I'm not good on the spot. It's not really a lesson, but it's nice to see that the real estate industry in Manhattan can be adaptable to using technology. Like pre-pandemic, we had to print out eight copies of paperboard packages and messenger them to the managing agent's office. And it feels like an entirely different way of running business and almost a totally different job for me these days like everything's handled electronically payments board packages i mean there are some uh, old managing agents that still do paper but primarily i'm not printing out eight copies of thick board packages anymore and it's nice to see that it's the wave of the future it makes everything go a lot smoother on my end and it makes everything go a lot faster in the city so agreed great shout out to adaptability yes okay well thank you for listening for the on the Real Talk Podcast, the 15 lessons in 15 years, plus a bonus lesson from Danielle. And we will see you on the next episode.